Good morning, everybody. Hey, I'm not sure if you know, uh, but October is Pastor Appreciation Month, uh, and we don't always do a lot of stuff for that, kind of like Sweetest Day, you know, it's like... Does anybody actually celebrate Sweetest Day? Every day. That's a great answer. Am I okay here? Hey, so uh, we didn't really do anything uh, for the pastors. I just, I want to take a minute and recognize them, though. Uh, pastor Scott, our senior pastor. Pastor Jake, who's just up here. Pastor Sean, Pastor Len. And we'll throw Beth in there as well, our children's director. And, and Jerry and Miriam back here, who do a lot of the visitation for us. Uh, you know, I've been uh, honored to serve on uh, the elder board for about 11 years now. And uh, we've gone through a lot with that group of pastors. And I can tell you that they are the real deal. They are extremely humble. Uh, They are extremely God-focused. They're the real deal. And I can tell you this, too, that they work harder than you know. And they love you more than you know. And so I think it would be appropriate if we just applaud their work, their families, and show them how much we appreciate them. Is that okay? enough of that mushy stuff. (laughs) They didn't know I was doing that, so that was, Sean's loving it right now. And feel free to just express your appreciation to them at any time. It doesn't even have to be in October. It's okay. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5, please. Joshua chapter 5. Israel is at a critical juncture in their nation's history. Forty years prior to what we're about to read, they were at the promised land and they were supposed to go take the land. And instead of seeing the promise, they saw the obstacles and they saw the challenges. And they began to live by fear instead of faith. And so they had to wander for 40 years. And so 40 years later now, they're back at the promised land. In fact, where we pick it up, they are just now in the land. And this land is full of fortified cities and giants and some rough terrain, but it needs to be won. And their first battle lay ahead of them. And it's the Battle of Jericho. And most of us know the Battle of Jericho. We've learned it usually when we're about six years old. And we know the story about how they walk around uh, the city And on the seventh day, the walls come tumbling down. Uh, But today, I don't really care about that part. I don't care about the battle itself. What I'm really interested in today is the interaction that Joshua has with God just prior to this battle. And there are a couple of important lessons that God gave to Joshua for him as the leader, but also for all the people before they start this battle. And so we're going to start reading Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. 
When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. And where you see Lord in your Bible in all caps, that's the name Yahweh. I'm the commander of the army of Yahweh. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of Yahweh's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua sees a guy, he's out looking for some strategic advantage in battle. He's out scouting a bit, and he sees a guy with a sword, and he doesn't know who this guy is, so he's got to figure it out. And he asks him this question, are you on my side or are you on their side? And it's not a yes or no question, but the guy says no. He says no, and instead reveals himself as God. He doesn't answer the question of, uh, is he on one side or the other, but he reveals himself as God. What that does, the implication is the question gets turned back to Joshua. And it then becomes, Joshua, are you on my side? That's the implication, and Joshua recognizes it immediately. And Scripture tells us multiple places that God is on our side that he is for us. That's true. That's true forever. But this needs to be true as well, that we know, we have settled in our hearts that we are on God's side. And and I want to make sure that we don't, in an unhealthy way, hold on to the God is on my side too strongly without this balance of am I on God's side? Because if we're not careful, it can become about me and it can become about my plans and my hurts and my potential and God is all for me. But when the battle starts, it's important to know who's in charge. That's why this question is important. And so Joshua's out, he's trying to figure things out, come up with a plan, and and God appears to him just as he needs. And I love this about our God. Joshua's facing a battle. Actually, he's facing war for pretty much the rest of his life. And God shows up. This doesn't happen often in Scripture that we see this. But God shows up as a warrior. Exactly what Joshua needs, exactly when he needs it. And Joshua, when he realizes that it's God, he has the appropriate response. Do you see that? He falls on his face and worships. And he asks a great question. He asks this, what does my Lord say to his servant? And notice this, the first instruction that the commander of Yahweh's army gives with sword drawn, remember, is not related to the battle or combat strategy. He says, take off your sandals. It's time to worship. It's interesting. He says, you're on holy ground because of my presence here. And that's the first big lesson, I think, that Joshua and Israel needed to know. And it was worship first. Everybody say worship first. 
Worship took priority over the battle. That was the most important thing they needed to hold on to. Forty years earlier, that connection with God became broken. They lost the promise. And so he's reminding them, worship first. Compared to everything else, what priority does worship have in your life? Is it something you only think about or experience when you're here on Sunday morning? Or is it something that is, is really woven throughout all aspects of your life? And really, what is worship? We often hear referred to it just as our singing time. And that's not really accurate, if we want to be really accurate to the words here. And it's not accurate for a couple reasons. One is too narrow, just referring to singing. And two, we can sing without worshiping. So we have to be careful of that. We can worship in all aspects of life, giving, serving, praying, reading Scripture. And one thing I discovered while preparing this message was that with few exceptions, every time we see the word worship in our English Bible translated, both in the Old Testament and the New, from the Hebrew and the Greek, the meaning is literally to fall on your face as if before royalty to be bowed low. Now, with that picture in mind, I wonder if we've watered down what true worship is. And I wonder if we've allowed ourselves to go through the motions of singing and giving and praying and reading Scripture, but we've missed the act of worship. And we we read Scripture, but maybe we miss the God of Scripture. And we pray, but it's just talking in in an impersonal way. Or maybe we sing, but it's void of any connection to a living God. I wonder if we miss the mark more often than we hit it. If that's the picture of bowing down before a king... Does that truly describe what you call worship in your life? Do you make time for it in your daily life? Are we rushing into church on a Sunday morning? We're coming in late. We're in no position to bow before King Jesus, to be in his presence, and to experience him here as he wants to be experienced. I wonder how different our lives might be if we really grabbed a hold of this and put priority on true, personal, and corporate worship. And on getting into the presence of King Jesus. Scripture even uses the term uh, worship and reverence and awe. There's more to just the singing if we want to get really to the heart of worship. And I know from experience, we can see it in Scripture, I know many others here will tell you as well that God speaks in worship. When we worship Him, we connect, and He can speak to us in that time. I've also observed in my own life, there's a direct correlation between how full and free and true my worship is and the health of my relationship with God overall. 
There is something very vital to that act of worship that puts us in the place relative to God that we need to be. And if you're looking for something deeper with God, I would suggest taking your worship to another level. That's the first lesson that they needed, I think, was worship first. Don't miss the priority of worship. Now, Joshua's interaction with God continues into chapter 6 here, so let's keep reading. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So after this worship service that Joshua has with God, God begins to speak about the battle. And it's a wacky plan. It's a plan that no man would come up with, and it's a plan that only God will get the glory for. But I'm actually most captivated by his final instruction for the people. Look at that, the very end of verse 5. He says, go straight ahead. He tells Joshua, the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. That's the second lesson that they needed to know was go straight ahead. Everybody say, go straight ahead. I want to look at this command to go straight ahead from two different viewpoints. First, the people's viewpoint. Now, as they would approach Jericho from camp, there would be this long train of people, and they would come up, and then they would start to go around the city, and so there was this just long train of people all the way around. So because of that, everyone would have been at a different location around that city when the walls fell. That means everybody had a different starting point and a path in through the city, a different battle to fight. They all would have been different, different obstacles. Some may have had more rubble to climb over. Some may have had bigger and uglier bad guys to fight. Some may have had the sun in their eyes. Some maybe not. It would have been totally different. And God said no matter what, is in front of you at the time it's time for battle. You are to go straight ahead. Where I have you is where I want you, and that's where you are to go straight ahead. Now, they could decide to look for a different path if one looked easier, or if some fighter was too big, they didn't want to handle it, or they didn't want to climb over the rubble, whatever. They could choose to not go straight ahead, or they could choose to start and then maybe change course. But the command of God was to go straight ahead. The second viewpoint is God's viewpoint. I think of an an overhead view on this city, and he would have his people stationed all around. And when the battle starts, there's this wall of his people crossing over where the walls of the city used to stand. Moving toward, moving through the city, converging at the center. 
God had it so that there were no gaps. There was nowhere for the enemy to escape as long as they went straight ahead. But if someone decided to deviate and to miss that command of going straight ahead, there could be a gap that the enemy could have exploited. And this lesson of go straight ahead was vital and not just for this battle. Because we know the nation of Israel just now embarking on this land, but obviously through their history, so many things came their way. Difficult, challenging, even devastating things to their history. But no matter what came their way, they were to go straight ahead. God didn't spare them from every difficult and painful circumstances, especially when it had to do with consequences for their sin, but he always had a path for them to go down. Think of some examples. Think of Abraham. He was told to pack up and go to a land that he would be shown. Had no idea where he was going, but he went. He went straight ahead. Gideon was told, you're going to free my people from this oppressive enemy. And Gideon wasn't so sure about it, but he confirmed it. He confirmed it again, but once he had it, he never looked back. He went straight ahead. Jesus himself, we see him with the cross in front of him, asking if this cup can pass. But he said, not my will, but yours be done to the Father. He was willing to go straight ahead. The apostle Peter, he was told to bring the gospel to non-Jews, and God had to reorient his thinking And he had to see things differently in light of the gospel now. But once God taught him that, he went straight ahead. There's a few others that we know of in Scripture that didn't work out so well. Jonah, told to go one way and went the completely opposite direction. King Saul, after a while of being king, decides that he knows better And he's going to go off this path of righteousness that he is very well aware of. And it doesn't work out. There's a path. Now, I'm anticipating there might be a couple of questions out there related to this. And I want to address both of those, whether you're asking them or not, because somebody probably is. But you may be thinking... I've had some horrible things happen to me. And are you saying those things are part of the path that God chose for me? And I would say this. God brings challenges and difficult things into our lives to grow us. But anything that is destructive, evil, and damaging to us, his prized creation, is not of God. And if that's you, I'm really sorry that you've had to deal with those things. But also know that God knows and feels your pain. God experiences emotion. He hurts when his kids hurt. And the wonderful thing about God is that part of the path on the other side of those things is healing and wholeness. And he has that for you. I would refer you to the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own family. 
he was jailed on a false accusation. And he was forgotten and left there for years. No, those were not God's doing. But all through that time, Joseph stayed on the path of righteousness. He stayed on the path toward his God that he knew. And he never left that path. And when he was finally remembered and released, God placed him in a position where he would have the greatest impact and the greatest civilization of that time. Now, a different question may be uh, out there, uh, which is, what if I have nothing? These examples I gave, they were specific things that God told people to do. What if I've not received anything like that from God? I have two thoughts about that. First, is I have a feeling some here need to be reminded maybe of some dreams that you've had since you were a kid. Not to go to sleep and, and, and just dream something weird, but something inside of you, a dream that you've had. Do you ever consider that God put that dream in you? And I don't just mean the, the spiritual stuff we always talk about, a call to a mission field or a full-time ministry. I'm talking about I wonder if somebody here has dreamt about being a writer your whole life, or a nurse, or a professor, or for some strange reason, maybe being in politics. <laughs> that would be strange, but that's okay. The, the list is endless, but is there something in you that you've never even pursued or that you've thought about? Do you find yourself to be passionate about certain things, certain people groups or subcultures within our society? Do you think God put those passions in you? Do you think that God wants his people in perhaps every possible industry and corner of our culture, taking the kingdom of God to everyone everywhere? I absolutely do. The same as the picture of his people surrounding Jericho. I also have a feeling that if you think maybe you haven't received anything from God, there may actually be something, maybe a word that you've received in the past that you've forgotten about, or somebody that's been put on your heart to go minister to, and you just have been too fearful to do it or you've just forgotten about it altogether. The second thought I have on this uh, possible question, if you're wrestling with, that you, you maybe you don't have anything from God. You don't know what this path looks like. I would refer you to the story of David and Goliath. And this is just one of a couple of, exa of examples. But it, in the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel... Did you know that there is nothing in there, nothing, that says God told David to fight Goliath? God told David to get five smooth stones. God told David that he would deliver Goliath into his hand. Nothing. There's nothing like that in there. But David was a worshiper. He was tuned in to his God. So when he saw a situation that ought not to be, 
When everyone else was living by fear instead of faith, he didn't even need a word from God. He knew exactly what needed to be done. And when he saw that path, he went straight ahead. So this is an important lesson, I think, for us today, for us to go straight ahead. How many times have we started down a good path? We're pursuing God and we get distracted. We get tired. The obstacles just wear us down. Maybe we start looking around and everybody else's path seems a whole lot easier. Boy, I've been guilty of that. Or we think, maybe we conclude that because it's so difficult, there's so many obstacles, we must be on the wrong path. I want to show you something. We're going to come back here to Joshua real quick, but go over to 1 Corinthians 16. The very end of that book in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 16. The Apostle Paul is writing this to his friends in Corinth. He's in Ephesus at the time. And in verse 5, he says he wants to go see them. He, he wants to go and visit his friends again in the city of Corinth. But look in verse 8. He says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Do you see the path? He recognizes there is a wide door, effective work. That's the path he knows he needs to stay on. And the very next phrase is, and there are many adversaries. Please hear me on this. The presence of obstacles does not necessarily indicate that you're on the wrong path. The presence of obstacles does not necessarily mean you're on the wrong path. That was true for the Apostle Paul. That was true for the nation of Israel. And that's true for you today. Oftentimes we pray for God to remove obstacles, to change our circumstances, when he really wants to change you. Here's just a few final thoughts, then we're going to move toward a time of response. If you find yourself to be worried about your path, anxious about what's coming up, are you doing the right thing? Am I going the right way? Focus on worship. Don't focus on the path. Focus on worship. Worship brings clarity and calm. If you need those two things, focus on the worship. If you feel like God is pulling at your heart towards something different, then go. A lot of us will struggle for a long, long time about making a decision. And if you feel that God is pulling you, go. If you feel like he's not, then stay. As long as you have peace about it, stay on the path you're on. Honest self-reflection, listening to the Holy Spirit is key. Going comes out of worship. Our going comes out of worship. Do you close doors instead of letting God close doors? Let God open and close the doors. In Revelation chapter 3, to one of the letters to one of the 
uh, churches, God identifies himself as the one who opens doors that no one can close and closes doors that no one can open. Do you take that responsibility from God? When you are faced with something that's maybe new, uncomfortable, you think you're not ready for, do you automatically close that door? That's really God's choice. Be very careful about closing a door that God has opened. God will empower you for what lies along your path. I want you to go, come back to Joshua, where we started, 5, 13. I want you to see Joshua now. If you remember at the beginning of the book, God and the people kept telling him over and over and over again, be strong, be courageous, have courage. Look at Joshua now. Joshua was by Jericho. He was not in the safety of camp. He was in enemy territory. He was by himself. He sees a guy with a sword, and he doesn't even draw his own sword. He doesn't even yell from a distance. It says he goes up to the guy with the sword. Joshua is a different man. Joshua has received the courage that he so badly and desperately needed. God will empower you for whatever you need along your path. He absolutely will do it. There's another interesting thing. Look at chapter 6, verse 1 again. When Jericho was shut up, or now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. That is an incredible statement. Who's on defense there? Jericho. It's not a trick question. Who's on offense? Israel. Are you more on offense or defense in your life? Think about that. That is incredibly insightful. If you were to look at your path, your life, are you playing more defense or are you playing offense? It would be a really neat thing to do is to look at your life, your path, and ask yourself that question. Am I playing more defense than offense? So we're going to have a time of response now. We've saved a few minutes at the end. And I'm going to stop talking here in a minute, but what I would like you to do is I want you to ask God Joshua's question. You still have it in front of you. He asked, what does my Lord say to his servant? And I want you to get yourself in front of God, in your mind, in your spirit, and see him in front of you. And I want you to ask him this question and then just listen. I want you to just listen to what God says. I don't know if he will talk to you about worship or the path you're on. He could give you a word or a name or a song lyric or a verse, a picture, so many things. And I don't know what that's going to be. But this is a phenomenal question that Joshua asks and then waits for the answer for. And I want us to do that this morning. 
Real quick, if you still have your Bibles out, John chapter 16. This is what we're asking for here. John chapter 16 is where one spot where Jesus is teaching his disciples what the Holy Spirit does for us. And he says this in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There is nothing in the infinite wisdom and knowledge of God the Father and the Son that the Spirit does not have access to. I want to encourage you to ask this question. Get yourself in the presence of God and ask him this question and listen. What he tells you, write it down if you want. Put it in a note in your phone. If you want to, you can come up here and physically put yourself in a worshiping position. Or just sit there in your seat and do it. But ask God this question. What does my Lord say to his servant? Come Holy Spirit.